Hi, and welcome to The Bottom End, a podcast series for people living with Crohn's or colitis. My name's Luke Escombe, and I'll be chatting with my fellow ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis Australia, Brittany Nickel, as well as Justin Singh, about our lives with IBD. And hopefully we'll be having a bit of fun along the way. We'll be getting down and dirty answering those tricky questions that you might be afraid to ask in person. And in every episode, I'll get some medical insights from gastroenterologist Dr. Ed Giles. In this episode, we're going to chat about the transition from paediatric to adult treatment, that tricky time when you move from the children's hospital to the adult hospital. You'll find out how we cope and what advice we have for anyone who's transitioning now. So thanks to AbV and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for helping us get this series out there. We hope you'll find it useful. You're listening to The Bottom End with me, Luke Escombe, and today we're talking about living with Crohn's disease and making the transition from uh, treatment as a child to treatment as an adolescent and then from an adolescent to an adult. Uh, these are different stages of life where you might have a different healthcare team and a different support team around you and managing these transitions uh, can be a very tricky thing. So we're going to be talking about that today with uh, Justin Singh and Brittany Nickel. Um, Justin, I'll start with you. What was it like? Uh, you, were, you were diagnosed at the age of eight, um, so you were, you were treated as a child. What was it like transitioning to being treated as an adolescent? Very scary, very scary. So um, the biggest transition that I had was from being treated at the children's hospital with my specialist and it was all like, you know, it's all like young people around and uh, much easier on like to deal with. Then uh, I had to apply for a special exemption uh, when I was 18 because I wasn't eligible to be operated at the children's hospital. But I just got so sick. I was so sick that to the point where um, for me to be treated in the public, in the adult hospital, um, would would be too difficult because I had my specialist who'd be looking after me uh, for the last how many years, like 10 plus years. And my medical files were the size of like, if you'd imagine a 2,000 page book, that's what it was like. They used to have the wheel in my medical records. Um, and the tra transition was quite hard. It was, uh, I remember the first time I had to step in to the adult hospital for a, for a um, meeting or for, for my consultation, um, I was sitting in a waiting room and it wasn't a rosy, coloured like waiting room. It was just this like ugly grey walls with these plastic chairs and it was just such a sterile environment. And then I saw that I was lucky with my dad and we made it to the doctor and my doctor was just short, sharp because she had so many people to see. And it was just like getting, get out and just absolutely frightening. It was not a fun experience. Well, it's, it's a very uh, difficult thing to step into. I mean, and as well as that transition from one hospital to another, transitioning from being a child yes. to being an adolescent, uh, transitioning over that, that awkward uh, kind of expanse of puberty, mm. there's a lot of other stuff that's changing. Uh, how did that affect or how were you affected by that kind of with the Crohn's disease on top? Uh, yeah, very difficult. I wasn't built like all the other kids and whatnot and the transition was I still, 
I still look like a little child. And uh, it took a while for my body to catch up uh, and look like a mature adult. Like I didn't grow proper facial hair to the point where I could shave until I was 25. Wow. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a big thing for, for guys in the locker room is, is yeah. hair. Like, that's the first thing. As soon as we're like gorillas, really. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, I don't have any hair. When am I going to get hair? <laughs> yeah. uh, and mine was very late as well, I remember. Uh, and that, that's a big pressure, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, just transitioning into the adult world um, can be quite daunting because you're now having adult-like conversations with people and uh, and having this maturity come about it is a it is quite a bit of a shock to the system when you're used to talking about uh pokemon and nintendo and i don't know if nintendo i don't think even nintendo's around these days but playstation and yeah so the transitions um yeah very interesting but the thing is adults are more in touch with health and and more uh used to being accommodating to people's situations Brittany, do you remember that moment of of transition in the healthcare system from being a child to being an adolescent? I do. Uh, yeah, like Justin said, the, the ch- children's system and the children's hospital is always so bright and vibrant and it's, you know, as much as it's not a fun place to be, it, it tries to be a fun place and, you know, you've got some doctors and nurses that dress up in crazy outfits or wear a clown nose and they're there to try and, you know, not only do their job but they're trying to entertain sick kids too. So you move into... Uh, an adult hospital I was I think I was 16 when I had to make that transition and at that point it was literally like right when I was about to go through major surgery so it was a really difficult juggling act with that one and um did your team change as well at that my point? team did change yes yeah. so I went from the children's hospital with a with a um specialist there with a gastroenterologist who was amazing in what he does and I've I've been very lucky that I've had great specialists and great support so I transitioned from the children's hospital with him and then straight over into the adults hospital with another specialist which is hard enough in itself but I was under a very good team so I was lucky. Did they start talking to you differently? Was it a sudden you had to suddenly get used to a a different way of being spoken to? Yeah yeah definitely um you know like my previous specialist I was I was a kid in a kid's hospital and and you kind of they they speak a little bit differently in more more English I guess more plain terms so a child can understand it less sciencey yeah less sciencey exactly and you move into an adult system where they kind of sometimes expect you to know what's going on because they're used to speaking to full-grown adults and you know 16 you're not really an adult you're still an adolescent and um, it's one of those things that you do still have to transition with. But by then, I was, I'd was i come to a point where I'd had it for so long and I'd gained a lot of understanding and, and was inquisitive myself as to how everything worked and what was going on and why. So for me to kind of have that, it was it was good. Like, it, it was difficult, but it was also good. Like, it was it was actually hard to let go of, of being with another team and then transitioning to a new team. And and that's that's a good thing, isn't it? When you build up that rapport with a team and you come to really trust them, and then you have to you have to trust another team, and and hopefully it sounds like it went as 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 well as it could have gone for you. Do, do you remember how old you were when you when you started seeing the healthcare team on your own without a parent or a carer there with you? To be completely honest with you, there's still times when I actually go and see my my team and mum will come with me or dad will come with me. So, um, yeah, I've, I still haven't fully broken away from it, more so just because I, I have that support network and someone who understands and I figure why 
wire fix something that's not broken. So well, I think that's great. Isn't they really they are your, your platinum A plus support team, and they always have been. I think that's that's great advice for people. Is you don't have to just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't bring your parents with you. They're your exactly. Team. So it's it, and it is. It's it's one of those things that like you know, if it's a specialist appointment and not I can kind of gauge. Not much is going to change. I'll just go by myself because it's. There's not really much that's changed in that period, but if it's something where I'm talking about changes in medications or treatments or surgical options, I'll definitely bring mum or dad with me because they're my main support. And um, Justin, what about you? Do you uh, uh, do you remember that moment of the first time you went on your own to see a gastro? Yeah, I do remember that first time because my dad used to go with me to all my appointments and then he goes, no, it's time for you to take... to." take matters into your own hands and I was like oh my god don't you love me anymore why would you come with me and uh it how was, old were you uh I think I was 21 oh maybe 18 between 18 and 21 Quite somewhere young. around there yeah and it was the first one was so nerve-wracking and I just let her talk I'm like I just wanted to get through it I didn't know what to do or what to say and uh yeah I got through it but the biggest lesson for me in that was uh, after a couple of times going was actually now I'm in charge of myself. I'm responsible. And what it really forced me to do was actually look at what was being said and understand it for more thoroughly instead of just uh, being spoon-fed everything, which uh, in hindsight is, is phenomenal. But in the moment it was um, like I resisted a lot, I hated it, and... Uh, I'm better for it now because now I research everything and I am my own uh, second doctor. Yeah. So thinking about this point of transition, this move from your paediatric gastro who you trust and is almost like part of the family to an adult gastro who you don't really know yet, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, um, I would say don't worry about how they come across. Um, and also I would uh, advise on seeking out a doctor or a medical professional that um, that can that has good bedside manners. And if you don't have that, then find someone else. What, what is good bedside manner? Let's, someone let's who asks, like, how, actually, how, you, how are you, how's school, how, or how you're dealing with things, how's your condition, how, instead of just going straight into the... Um, into the numbers and saying, okay, here's the script, got to go, next person. And someone who just really is, uh, like, who's concerned about your well-being because it makes all the difference. Someone who says, how are you? And it yeah. means you as a human being exactly. that likes SpongeBob and mm. uh, all of that. And just work with lots of people. Work with, like, see a naturopath, see lots of different people to uh, build a rounder and build a more complete picture of your condition instead of someone who goes, this is it from this angle. You could, like from a medical point of view. Yeah, you build a team around you, don't yeah. you? And it's something you can actively do and be sort of excited about doing, mm. building your team. Like, you're, you know, it's Lord of the Rings and you're building the fellowship to go to Mordor. You know, you, yeah. need, you need the guy with the axe and the guy with the bow. And, and Mordor being that. passing a... Hard poo? Oh, well, yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> through the eye of Sauron. Um, Brittany, um, what, what advice would you give to someone making that transition to the, the adult gastro? 
I think like Justin said, obviously, yeah, to have that whole rounded view on everything from different teams, not just one. Um, but in saying that too, like speaking from someone like a lot have experimented in a lot of different ways with different naturopaths or alternative medicine or specialist or that kind of thing. I think it's about finding the right people too and people who understand you as a person but also understand the disease because I've been in situations like that where I've, I've sought after advice and it's actually been detrimental to my health. So um, I think it's about doing your research and making sure that they understand the disease itself as well um, because not everybody's going to be treated the same and not everybody understands what's going on just because they're, they're in this profession. It doesn't mean that they actually know. Yes, I think that's very, very good advice. Not everyone out there who claims to be an expert on health actually is an expert on health or particularly on IBD. So you're absolutely right. It's up to you to make sure that those alternative people you're talking to really do have the background and the qualifications to help you and your specific condition in the right way. If we're going to be talking about the transition from being a child to being an adult, one of the obvious rites of passage, I guess, is the, this moment of, of being intimate with someone else for the first time, of, of losing your innocence. It's kind of the, uh, one of the, the big markers of moving from childhood to adulthood. And of course, um, I mean, most of my, uh, I think for any teenage boy, certainly, I, I, I can only speak from my own experience but I think our entire life revolves around the anxiety of whether anyone will ever sleep with us that's pretty much all we think about yeah. uh, and of course you put Crohn's into the mix as well um, and you know you're worried about oh like I need to have abs otherwise no one will ever sleep with me and I need to get biceps and I need to have this haircut and um, you just worry uh, that you know you're gonna you're gonna die a virgin um, <laughs> So uh, let's talk about that uh, anxiety and addressing that anxiety and um, eventually finding someone who will do you the great honour of having sex with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So much anxiety. Um, there's anxiety like, are you going to, do you smell good? Are you going to fart? Like, uh, you know... Um, are you going to go on a date and go, oh, I need to go to the toilet real quick? But at the same time, just really having that confidence, and that's such a loose term that gets thrown around, like confidence. Have confidence in yourself. Well, what is confidence? So what confidence is is not having things you don't like about yourself. So I've got Crohn's. Um, ask everyone, hey, look, do you not like me because i got my Crohn's? Everyone goes, oh, like all your mates say, I love you because you're Crohn's and it doesn't matter. So when you inoculate against the things that you don't like about yourself, then you have confidence. There's nothing there. There's no inner voice going, saying, oh, you're, you're this or that. Brittany, <laughs> That's, uh, I, I'm going I'm to throw over to you at this point for, <laughs> for the girl's perspective. Uh, relationships, dating, sex, intimacy with Crohn's disease. What's your, what are you, what's your advice? It, it's not easy like we were just talking about you know like having all those thoughts and having the mentality and then breaking all of those and then realizing that realistically you're just worrying about something that might not even eventuate um yeah it's important to be confident in yourself internally as well as externally and you know you, everybody's got flaws everybody's human we've all got differences that make us unique but at the end of the day that's what makes us unique and it's about accepting those flaws as well 
Um, you know, like I'll notice things on myself when I look in the mirror that somebody else doesn't even consider or doesn't even look at. Um, but for dating, like it, it's, I, I still like, I, I, there's times where I struggle with confidence and I, I struggle with talking about it with people and, and I guess wondering what someone else's reaction is going to be, because I've been in situations where I've had no issues with that in past relationships and then trying to find your feet and trying to move forward with a new potential partner. Um, it's daunting and it's one of those things that, um, yeah, it's it, it. You don't really know until you put that yourself in that situation. But to put yourself in that situation, you need to get to a point where you feel comfortable within you, that no matter what the outcome of how that reaction is going to be, you're okay with it. And I think that's the biggest difference. I've I've come to learn that if I open up straight up and someone can't accept it, or I open up and someone is accommodating, accepting, it at least I'm being honest with the other person and I'm being honest with myself because there's nothing worse than being in a relationship or a friendship or any part of your life where you've got to hide something and you're being dishonest to people around you because you're scared of a reaction because at the end of the day you're never going to be happy in that situation because you're going to feel like you're carrying a monkey on your back. So for me it's, it's about being open and being honest and at the end of the day if I'm okay with who I am and who I am as a person and, and what I look like and at the end of the day it's, it's just it doesn't define you as a person. I've found that having an ileostomy is one of those things that it becomes part of everyday life. It's like brushing your teeth. It's just something that becomes a routine and, and um, you know, you learn to deal with it. You might have your mishaps with a leak or you might have to learn to change it and it's the same if you don't have an ileostomy or a bag and you're dealing with consequences or symptoms from Crohn's or colitis or IBD or anything in that fact that um, yeah, they are going to present you with challenges, but it's how you deal with them. And it's, yeah, it's a difficult one with dating, but I think if, if you can learn to be happy within yourself, you can react to certain situations and it, it comes down to if someone can't accept it, that's their problem, not mine. Fantastic. Excellent advice. Well, this has been The Bottom End. I've been speaking with Justin Singh and Brittany Nicholl. Keep listening to find out what Dr. Ed Giles has to say about transition. This is uh, Luke Eskom on The Bottom End. We're talking about transitioning from being a a child patient in the paediatric hospital to moving into the adult hospital and the adult world. I'm here with Dr. Ed Giles. Uh, What do you think are the main challenges of transitioning from being a child patient into an adult? Well, I think there's lots of challenges, Luke, and it's different for each individual um, because, you know, you could be diagnosed at seven or eight and have formed a really strong relationship with your doctors, the nurses, the whole institution of a children's hospital. So it can be a massive thing to be moving, really, um, and it can be quite complicated medically at times. So it really does depend um, on the individual whereas you might be diagnosed when you're 17 and actually have really only just got into the children's hospital system before the sort of walls are coming down and, and you're being effectively kicked out. So I think the challenges can be, can be difficult and there are challenges for the patient. There can be challenges for the, for the doctors as well, actually. You know, we get very attached to our patients um, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I still look after young adults is that I can't let go. Maybe, maybe that says something about me. But... But I think there can be that problem of, of, you know, this sort of relationship and how you move move on and that relationship between the parents 
uh, and the physician and that sort of three-way consultation that often goes on in paediatrics and moving to the more binary, you know, just doctor-patient relationship in the adult service. So it's a, it's a complicated time and it's different for everyone. It's nice to hear that uh, it can be difficult for you as well, uh, sort of seeing them grow up. Um, how do you prepare your patients and, and yourself, I guess, to make that transition? Well, I think it's something we perhaps don't do very well. There are tools that can help, you know, transition readiness tools, really things like making sure that the young people understand what their condition is, because that might have been explained to them when they were, you know, very young um, and everyone assumes that they know and then suddenly they're 16 or 17, but no one's actually explained, you know, what Crohn's disease really is. You know, they may have looked it up online and things, but do they know where their disease is? You know, many people don't know what treatments they're taking. It's the tablets that their parents leave out or whatever. So I think it's really about the young people starting to take ownership of of their condition um, as part of their own bodies and and really becoming the leaders, um, as we heard, I think, probably very eloquently from from Justin, you know, becoming that, that person who looked looks after themselves. At what point do you think the patient does need to start taking responsibility? I mean, I think the most important thing for any sort of transition service, if that's the right term, is a degree of flexibility because it's different. I mean, some people are ready, you know, when they're 16 or even younger to be having quite adult conversations and really understand their condition. Um, But some people, they're not ready. Whether they're not ready, their parents are not ready and it depends a bit on the nature of their condition at the time. You know, I think if someone's in the middle of a flare or you're having, you know, really deep conversations about an operation or something like that, maybe that's not a great time to say, well, you might need an operation next few weeks, but unfortunately your next appointment will be in the adult hospital. Goodbye. You know, these... Do you, you have that flexibility to pick the, the time of the transition? I think we're, we're lucky where I work that we do. I think most places there is... Um, a degree of flexibility, uh, but it can be very difficult and you can get caught short sometimes. And so that's why I think some degree of transition planning is very important, but it isn't always possible. Brittany and Justin spoke uh, very effectively, I think, about the the different environment uh, from the children's hospital to the adult hospital, this this lovely, vibrant, colourful place that's the children's hospital. And then the first time you're walking into the adult hospital, still pretty much a child, maybe 18, uh, it can be a very scary place. Um, what are the benefits of being in the adult hospital? Well, I think that there are benefits. I think that as patients with IBD in Australia, you actually have more options in terms of medications when you're an adult um, and you have access to clinical trials that often you don't have as a, as a paediatric patient. So there are these sort of practical benefits. Um, but I think perhaps more importantly, like we've heard from from Justin and Brittany, is the importance of really taking ownership of your condition and yourself and how that can be very empowering and really be quite po- a positive thing in how you view your disease and yourself with the disease. So I think there there are definite advantages and I see people flourish in the adult environment but there's no doubt it is frightening and you know there probably are physical things that could improve that but it's very difficult uh you know in a constrained healthcare system to necessarily you know completely smooth that that journey. Do you talk much about the future when you're 
when you're doing that that handover, when someone's sort of leaving your care and going off into the adult hospital, um, they're also entering the adult world where they'll have to they'll have to think about a career, or finding a job, maybe living on their own for the first time. All of the uh, all of the pressures of of being a young adult. Do you have that conversation? Probably not often enough, and I, but it's something that comes up at that time. And we've talked on a previous uh, episode about how you know. Brittany, Justin, yourself all had quite extreme uh, journeys of Crohn's disease and most people have a much less severe course. But one thing I say right from the beginning is that the vast majority of people with IBD can live perfectly normal lives. It won't stop them from doing really anything. They will likely need treatment. We'll work out what that is and, and, and support them through that. But it really shouldn't uh, challenge their dreams and so it's important to understand what people want to do and I try and have time to say well you know what are your plans next year what are you going to do you know and sometimes if it's professions like the armed forces and the police there is some paperwork around that and supporting people through this but really IBD shouldn't hold you back and fortunately we have like ambassadors around that can be examples of that but uh but I think sometimes, particularly around diagnosis, but also at this transition time, people can think, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because I have Crohn's disease. And that's rarely the case. Well, thanks so much to Dr. Ed Giles for giving us his perspective on this. It's, it's really wonderful to hear from uh, a paediatric gastro. And, and uh, I, I feel very grateful to uh, all the paediatric gastros who are out there. They, you, you guys do such an important job and uh, you, you, you give a lot of hope. Uh, to, to a lot of people in desperate situations. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Ed. Uh, you've been listening to The Bottom End with me, Luke Eskom. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this. Uh, I hope there's been something valuable to you here, something you've connected with, and uh, I look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to tune in to the other episodes in our series for more insights, revelations and general gut spilling. Hopefully only the metaphorical kind. We hope that sharing our stories will help all of you out there who are living with IBD. And we'd like to thank AbbVie and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for bringing this podcast to the Crohn's community. Before we sign off, we have some legal statements we need to make on their behalf. Firstly, everything we said is intended for an Aussie audience only, and our experiences or the things that work for us might not apply to you. So nothing that we or even Dr. Ed says in these podcasts can replace the advice of your own healthcare professionals who understand your personal situation. If you want more information or advice on your specific situation or medical condition, please talk to your own healthcare team. They're the experts, not us, and not the interweb. And of course, all of our opinions and experiences are ours, and they do not necessarily represent the views of AbbVie and Crohn's and Colitis Australia, CCA. If you'd like to speak with someone about your management of IBD, then please contact CCA's IBD helpline on 1-800-138-029. If you'd like any information from ABV, please contact their medical information team at medinfoanz at abv.com. That's M-E-D-I-N-F-O-A-N-Z at abv.com or call 1-800-043-460. Podcast ID AU-IMM-1900036, produced in May 2019. AbbVie PTY Limited, Mascot New South Wales 2020.